This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode of That Dan Band Show is brought to you by the Captain U Recruiting Platform, powered by Stack Sports. Captain U is breaking into the band space to offer support to high school students who are looking to perform in band at the collegiate level. With over 10 years in the recruiting industry and over 3 million student profiles created over the years, Captain U has long been a leader in athlete advocacy and support. Now, it's time to provide that same support to band performers. Captain U creates a direct line of communication between musicians and college band directors. With the LinkedIn-style profile, performers can put their best foot forward with searchable criteria like their position, academic info and test scores, audition videos, director recommendations, and potential majors. Performers can directly message college directors to learn about scholarship opportunities, a university's academic strengths, and ultimately place themselves at the right institution. If you are a high school band student looking to perform at the next level, go to CaptainU.com and create a free profile today. It takes less than five minutes and will save you time and money. And for a limited time, we are offering performers 50% off an upgraded profile by using the promo code TDBS21. That's right. 50% off an upgraded profile on CaptainU.com by using the code TDBS21 at checkout. Sign up on Captain U, gain exposure, and get recruited. Powered by Stack Sports. And we are on. Well, I just want to welcome you both, and I'm not going to spin out trying to do your bios that you sent me and explain what you do. So I'll let you both uh, introduce yourselves and explain who you are and, and why we're talking today. Michelle, why don't you go first? Can I talk to us about your background in the marching arts and what you do these days? Hi, so my name is Michelle Morales. Um, currently, I'm a marketing media manager for Carolina Crown, uh, but also I'm a logistics director for Le- Relentless Winter Guard. And then I teach three high schools, uh, Flanagan High School, my, uh, Miami High High School, <laughs> and Stillman Douglas High School. And I teach Color Guard. So, you know, mixing both the activity with my passion of filmmaking is one of my primary, you know, passions and goals. So I'm assuming you didn't, get a degree in color guard. So are you, do you have like a formal degree in media? Yeah. So I have my bachelor's in film. Uh, I got it in 2017. And ever since then, I've been just doing a bunch of local music videos and things like that. And uh, as well as helping out the activity with, you know, my skill sets and videography and editing. Amazing. And Travis, talk to us about your background, marching, teaching, and, and then the media side of things. 
So I am a marketing manager and uh, project manager for Paramount Winter Guard out of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I do a lot of different tasks for them, but I essentially create all the content that you see on their social media platforms, try to create strat- strategies for them in their marketing. And then I also uh, coordinate for a high school, Hoover High School out of Alabama. So that's really kind of the extent of what I'm doing right now. Um, I do not have a degree in media. My degree is in <laughs> neuroscience, um, which is it's, it's funny uh, how that whole journey happened. I ended up, I'm actually entirely self-taught and licensed in it and just have been doing it for a good number of years. I also uh, run a digital design studio out, out of Atlanta that creates flags and floors and uniforms and graphics for a bunch of pageantry groups across the country. And what's the name of the studio? Just so people know, and can check it out. It's Wade Creative Studios. Wade Creative Studios. Check it out. Drive up that traffic, baby. So super pumped. Got you on kind of last minute. We were going back and forth on Instagram. Um, we were all roommates at Crown this year. So it's super fun to just check in with you guys in general. <laughs> like it's just cool to be able to do this and have a reason for it. Uh, but I want to talk to you because I feel like the marching arts are very, very behind in terms of our attitude, our approach, our tools and our resources when it comes to media, whether that is audio, video, social media, all the different platforms that are out there and that we see being used in an interesting way by brands and companies. The marching arts, I think, have not yet fully realized a vision for how to incorporate media as, you know, a caption, if you will, or its own sort of branch in an organization. So I'm super excited to talk to you because I'm very interested in branding. I'm very interested in content. Obviously, I have my own podcast. um, And I I think this is something that people need to hear from the inside. And what I was drawn to immediately, because we just all met, like the three of us didn't know before this experience at Crown. But, you know, I only came in at the end and seeing what you all were doing with the TikTok. Like, let's start there. Seeing the absolute growth and the engagement and the amount of views, it was just like this stratospheric rise. So who was kind of managing the TikTok? Who was conceptualizing what kind of content would be on there? Like, how was that happening on a day-to-day level? Yeah. So basically when we started the the first week of Crown this summer, um, we each had, so we have a media team, usually a four or five, um, and we each have like our, our lane that we stick in. For me, I'm more of like the manager and the the videographer for like the grand videos, like the long format videos. And then Marcus, one of our other media members was in charge of the TikTok. And so we would brainstorm and sit down and watch like the algorithm and see which TikTok trends were trending to see what we could pump out. And our goal was to have at least two or at least one a day. So that way we can pick up the speed um, with our followers. And it, it picked up really quickly and it helped us out that we were pretty much the only core that was doing content at the time since all the other cores were uh, on the next month coming through. Right. But TikTok was fun because it was something that wasn't too serious. And obviously TikTok trends are really fun in, in the first place. So um, yeah, he he pretty much grabbed a hold of that and then we would submit it to our, you know, to us and say, hey, is it good, bad? Like, should it post? And usually it's TikTok isn't something that you should really analyze or digest really hard because it comes and goes really quick. So it was up and running and we're pretty happy. We, we already passed a, a million followers at this point. So a million followers. Yeah. Oh my 
goodness. Wow. Yeah. That is so crazy. And it happened super quickly. And I actually didn't, I, I've kind of wondered about this, but it seems like it's this chicken or the egg thing with social media where it's like the trend happens and then you do the trend and it happens. And it's like, so it sounds like you kind of, you guys were like sitting down, you're like looking at what is happening. You're like, okay, today is like a, these challenges we were doing. Like we're going to do like the fastest paradiddle or like the, the spin challenge. Like I remember there was like people that were like just tossing and I guess to kick it over to Travis, cause he obviously works in, in that paramount space for indoor specifically is like, one, so you're self-taught. So I love that you and Michelle have different backgrounds that way. So you're self-taught. So for someone that isn't formally trained in TikTok, which I don't know how you would be like, or even formally trained in, in social media, what would you recommend to someone who's like trying to get in and build that kind of substantial following that Michelle is describing? I would say that all of us are formally trained media consumers. We all consume media on a daily basis. At least people our age, you know, like there's no one that doesn't do it on a daily basis. And there's no one that can't do that critically and say, oh, I could do this. Like to watch something and say like, oh, this is a trend. This is how it's done. There's a formula to it. There's a way of posting it that makes it cool and fun. Um, anyone can do that. And that's essentially kind of what I've done. I watch things. I, I, I find things that inspire me, things that I think are really cool, things that I think are funny. And then I go, how does this apply to what we're doing? How do I take this and put it into Color Guard in a way that's going to make it trend? And that's essentially all they did too. They look at these different challenges. There are challenges all over TikTok. And they said, how can we make this a band thing? And then they did, you know? So I think regardless of background, like you, you definitely have to learn the technicality of it, how to create cool videos from cool angles or how to create something to to a soundtrack behind it that makes it gives a little bit more production value but anyone can watch a trend on tiktok and say oh i could do this and then just do it you know i think a lot of people especially in the marching arts go oh i don't have a degree in that i don't have um formal experience in that so can't do am i licensed to do it do i have a space to do it in but the beautiful thing about the marching arts is that i feel like it's a micro universe where people can be anything like anyone can say like oh i'm a i'm a sound engineer because i'm going to learn to do this within this micro universe in the specific way that it applies because even people outside of the marching arts who do like sound design don't necessarily know how to do it in a way that applies to what we do you know so it's the same concept on um, social media it's developing within the marching arts so there's still a window for anyone to do it and same thing tiktok especially like everyone's like are we going to do tiktok at paramount and i'm like i think i want to uh, we don't have an account right now. We don't have a following of any kind on TikTok, but like, why not? You know, it's, especially with the the upcoming generation, that's where they're they're going to consume that media. You know, and if we want to keep the Paramount trend going, then we've got to move on to that platform. You know, so um, this coming winter, I'll look at that. I'll say, um, what is our general age range that we're trying to communicate with? What's the best place to do that? It'll probably be Twitter and TikTok because that's where the lowest age range is right now. And then I'll, I'll kind of gauge member interest. I'll be like, who's got a good idea? Because it, it can't rely entirely on me. A lot of it comes from like just the community and an inspiration from them, but saying like, what do you guys want to do? And then uh, it'll be my job to take that and make it fit the Paramount version of it. Like our, our whole brand is like cool and collected and professional and all those things, making sure it still fits that but like in a way that can perform well on that social media platform. 
There's a lot in there that that really sparks different ideas. I mean, one thing that I've been thinking about is the way the marching arts are. They're not very inclusive because up to a certain point, all of it exists in a live space. So like the way we think about seeing a famous performer live, what it takes, what it costs, the travel to even see Carolina crown one time in the summer, if you're not in the right zone, you're never going to see them. It's not like we go to every state, right? So the nature of our activity has been driven through the live platform and that boxes out a lot of people. When you're talking about this, I feel like if we put a lot more emphasis on the digital space, it's creating that inclusive access to the group in a way that I think it's a bigger deal than the trend. I think it's like actually reaching a broader audience. And for me, this is so critical because our activity does not have a big enough audience and it could have a bigger audience. I don't see how, what's the thing in the Olympics when they're like scrubbing the thing and then like it's sliding <laughs> on the ice. Shuffleboarding? Where that? It's like shuffleboard, but it's like, I think it's called, um, damn, I wish we had someone that could just bring that up on the Google, but it's, it's like, there's some really niche things that are popular. And I think it's not necessarily because it's accessible. It's because they're doing their due diligence to get out there. So I guess one thing that I I wonder, and I think we're hearing already parts of this, like, and I'll kick it to Michelle, what do we have to learn from out there? What do we have to learn from sports or from fashion or from music that are going to inform what we can do so we can go from an audience of like 500K to like millions and millions of people. Right. So one of the big things is sponsorships and sponsorship deals are something that we don't have. We only have sponsorship deals within like our activity of like, you know, the instruments or um, the costumes or things like that. But once we start to branch out and actually hit those sports sponsorships, that's when there's going to be a lot more awareness for our activity and uh, like an accepting, like we're already pushing the standards of, like we're not bando kids anymore that are just doing traditional stuff. So for people to see that, that's going to, it's going to have to be more mainstream in the sense of those sponsorships. Cause like, even when you have a music video, there's at least five sponsored placement ads in that music video. So for that, you know, we need to get in the, in the inside. And once you already know somebody on the inside, then they're going to put product placement in your video, but we got to get to that level. Like you said, like right now we're pretty much stuck on a live show kind of gig. Um, and until we start shooting and producing content for YouTube, Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, and things like that, then we're not going to get the audience that we're going to want. Absolutely. And I just, I love these conversations because I know what the argument against it is. And it's like, this is an educational activity and we can't sell out for a corporate sponsors and, and that kind of thing comes up. But it's like, do we need to rethink this as explicitly or exclusively educational when we're actually prohibiting ourselves from growing? So like Travis, again, just for just, I want to kick this back and forth and all around, but like, it is that our issue is that we're like, this is educational and it's all about portraying it like that. Even though we talk about the student experience as the most important thing. And I would think if we got Nike on board, if we got Adidas on board, the student experience 
is going to get better because they're going to be getting better gear. The exposure is obviously going to be larger. So it's like, what is this weird conversation where we're like, we're, we're an educational realm, but we also are like a performance competitive realm. Like our identity seems kind of like in flux in that way. I can actually relate this back to my dance experience. So I, um, I danced in a dance studio all of high school, like a competitive one. We actually competed against like Southern Strut, Abby Lee, all the like really big dance studios in the South and the Midwest. And, um, you know, that's one arena of that. There's also commercial dance companies that create commercial videos and have commercial dance opportunities and that, that, you're, you certainly are learning and growing as a dancer, but that's not the focus of it. The focus is really to perform and to create this commercial content where you get those sponsorships and you get sort of notoriety. I also danced in a professional company where, again, it was much more educationally based where I, I would show up to a rehearsal and there was, certainly was a performance, but it was much more about the, the gritty art of it, you know? So those are just three different arenas and different sort of spaces of education just within that one activity. And I think we're limited in a lot of ways in the way that we just have that one. You just have that one educationally based live performance venue. I think Michelle is kind of kicking the ball out of the park right now with what she does at Relentless with video content. Yeah. Because she creates this sort of almost commercialized like video content of the, the performers performing and it's completely removed from an arena. It's completely removed from the color guard space as we, what we know it. We did a little bit of that at Paramount this past winter. We created like a 10 scene film. Uh, it ended up being about seven scenes, but um, it was all removed entirely. Well, we tried our best to remove it from gyms, but when you can only get gym space, you can only do so much, you know, but we really wanted it to look like something completely removed. We wanted it to be sort of documentary style, sort of um, like art film style where it's color guard, but it doesn't look like what we know it to be, you know, um, that's an opportunity to for, for product placement, for sponsorship that doesn't remove from anyone's experience because that is the experience. That is what it is supposed to be, you know? So again, I think we're limited in the way that we, we, we expect it to be one thing all the time. You know, we, we expect like, especially when COVID happened, everyone was like, we've got to have these indoor shows. We've got yeah. to have it this way. It has to be exactly like this, just <laughs> like we've done it forever. And at Paramount, we were like, we're just not going to do it that way at all. Same. We're, we're, it's going to be all film-based. It's going to be all edited. It's going to be like these deep concepts. And we want to, we want to be able to expose people. We wanted someone outside of the marching community to be able to watch it and go, oh, that's cool. I relate to that. That's art. That's something neat. Meanwhile, someone who has to show up to their first ever Winter Guard event and watch shows, they just stunned. Like, how do they absorb that? You know, it's not in a, a medium that they're used to consuming. Well said. I think this is so funny because at Mason, uh, George Mason Indoor, I, I guess I should say the whole thing, if this is a standalone podcast for people listening, we did the exact same thing. This isn't a normal year and it's going to require us to like completely reformulate how we do this. So like when you watch the Mason thing, it's not drill on a floor that's being filmed because when you write drill, it's it's meant to be viewed from... 30,000 feet. Like that is the point of it is that there is a, a larger scale and scope they are working with. And I saw a lot of groups come out and do indoor drumline on film and Mason. And it sounds like Paramount and Relentless, they made a drumline or color guard product for film and for the medium of being viewed through a screen. And funny enough, what I heard from the outside voices of the world are we like the groups that just like played together and like did the drumline thing, even though like it wasn't 
fit out for the medium. We just needed to be, we have this very like weird poll where it's like the, the old heads. And when I say old heads, I'm talking about people like my age were saying that they're like, well, you guys didn't actually play together. Uh, so, and you like used mixing and sound production and post-production. It's like, well, you listen to albums and you listen to music that's, and it was meant to be listened to as a song. It was meant to be consumed in that medium. So it's so funny. Even when you do that, people are like, I want it to be the old way. It's like, well, there was a virus, so we couldn't be live. And this is what, not only what we could do, it's like we capitalize on that. So I always feel like I, and I, what you, you're all saying, I'm like, so in that kind of camp where it's like for the medium, not like for what it's supposed to be and like keeping things how they're always supposed to be. We should be reconceptualizing like what someone with a flag can even do or what like all these talented dancers or drumline people, but it takes so much work just to have that competitive season. I think, I think we all realize too, like we want more, but it's already super tiring and super tough to get through an individual season. So before I spin off and start going crazy on that, I do want to hear more about the approach to relentless. I have seen some of the videos with like Nick and like you're on the beach and like there's an incorporation of some traditional color guard elements, but it's also just like a dance music video on a beach. So like, can you talk about your vision for that and how you sort of put that together and what your goals are with that? Yeah. So with those, so we call them RPE videos, relentless production ensemble videos. Um, We basically cast them. Nick and I do like a whole pre-production before starting with uh, outfits, uh, concepts, what song. uh, Then we meet up for choreography and then we go to location and we shoot. And uh, for those production days, I really try to make sure that the experience of the production is nice because as we know, any kind of video shoot is tiring. And since I have that background, I'm able to pull from my other creatives that are that, you know, from college and just make it like a true production experience um, on set with, you know, we have a tent, we have people with water, we have somebody that's going to hair and makeup, um, just because that's how you have members feel like it's cool to come back. Um, and it's not just like my personal gain, it's their personal gain as well, because they're getting their face on screen. And then, yeah, the day pretty much is really fun. Uh, we try not to take it too seriously, like there's going to be mess ups as you go. Um, but yeah, like our first, um, RPE video that we did last season, um, was the beat it video. And that was, they showed up for auditions thinking like it was going to be a traditional audition. And then I'm like, well, now we're going to shoot a video. So we're going to learn everything that you're going to do in the video. And this is how you're going to audition. And let me see what you got. Like we're showing up next week. We're shooting in Wynwood, which is like a rural area in Miami. And we're going to go to different locations. We ended up, you know, having a lot of fun. I mean, typical shoot days are like 10 hours. They're pretty gung-ho about like, at least now, all, all the members that have been a part of it are pretty gung-ho about, you know, it is what it is. We're going to be doing this take like for 30 minutes and Michelle's not going to like say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll just fix it later. Like, no, usually you really can't fix it later, especially when it comes to color guard stuff, because like a mess up is a mess up like (laughs) and uh, a cut is a cut and so I don't want the audience to think that they um, didn't achieve well so we always play up to that camera and yeah and then the editing process I do most of the editing Um, I do have like some help on like assembly but I'm pretty much like the main editor and colorist 
I could do a little bit of a better job with promotion and doing little uh, reels and photos and behind the scenes. It just, it's a lot when it comes to promoting content because it's one thing to shoot it, edit, but then to promote is like another beast. And so I think what could help our activity is promotion in, in, in every aspect. So, cause we have so many different sections within the color guard, the horn line, the front ensemble and the drum line. And I think promoting that to younger performers would get them in the, in the door a lot faster and buy into the activity. Cause they're just nervous and scared and they just have to understand, like, we're here to teach you. Like it's all Gucci, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. And I think, COVID specifically, it took 2021 and it was like, whatever you thought was going to happen, it's blown up and there's like different ways to go about it. So I'm, I'm thinking and wondering when we go and assuming that this year is a more regular competitive year, obviously TBD, I I am obviously just going to proceed as if it is personally in this regular competitive year. Now you're dealing with, you know, rehearsal site logistics planning the design, rehearsing the students, travel, housing, just all the stuff that happens in a regular year, right? So for Travis, you know, it sounds like you two have a somewhat similar relationship in what you do with your independent world groups, going back into Paramount, knowing and hoping that it's going to be a more regular year. How can we keep this momentum with the the different media that you are engaging with and these different forms that you're engaging with when we had that off year? For me, it's going to take planning and collaboration. Um, like, like with Michelle, Michelle basically helps to run all the aspects of Relentless Winter Guard. I do have a similar job at Paramount where I'm, I'm developing the website that we use. I keep all, all the tabs on our social media. I help write schedules for rehearsals each weekend. I teach the color guard. So I, I, I do all of the movement there. So, um, you know, you're already wearing six hats. And then when you also have to try to add social media promotion on top of it, you know, like your, your neck starts to hurt a little bit. So a lot of that work comes from preseason. Um, I have kind of an approach that I use where I create marketing schemes and marketing campaigns preseason. So it's all kind of laid out. So we have like our preseason campaign where it all has a specific look and there are specific goals, like getting people to auditions and promoting um, our merchandise and just kind of setting the tone for the whole season. And then once we get into the season, we kind of theme everything around the actual show. And then that becomes a little bit easier with planning content. Cause you know, you've got a uniform reveal, you've got sponsorship posts, you've got all the various things sort of bases that you need to hit on, but it comes with planning and above all else asking for help and collaboration. Cause uh, there's just one of me and I do have help. Like my friend, Molly Favre, she'll write captions for us. And it's like, Oh, that takes with well, an anxious person like me, that takes a lot off the plate. Okay. <laughs> and then I have some members that help me to just get the content posted, to come up with ideas, to give me feedback. I'll even, it's as simple as what did you think of this post? What do you think of doing this with this one the next time? Um, and just capturing content at rehearsals. If someone can just have their phone out recording video, half of the rehearsal, then I've got what I need most of the time. And then also for Paramount this winter, you know, we set a, a definite tone for how we wanted our media to be conveyed in a way that like kind of took it out of the arena, kind of touching back on base with that. Like this season, the hope is to create sort of like a parallel, not film, but 
documentary maybe you know it's in the works yeah. you know we don't even have the show yet but we're like we we know we want to create media content that has a sense of depth to it all season long something that portrays the depth and character of the organization that portrays the depth and character of the production that we'll do that presents it in a really cool and neat way that's more than just i took a picture of my phone and i put it on instagram you know so there are plans for that but it's only going to be achieved with a lot of help um that's one thing that really i think sets us behind in the marching arts activity is i think over the last three or four years we've seen a rise of media teams we when i first taught drum corps in 2017 team i was the media team it was just me and i took it on my phone i put it on instagram and i was like you know i was like one of five people doing that um in the past couple years we see professionals from media coming into the activity like michelle who are like they know exactly what they need to be doing they know that it involves teamwork there's a person who takes the photos who takes the videos someone another person that adds the graphics on top of it another person that colors it another person that actually posts it it really is a full-time job and collaborative effort and so the next step for an organization like paramount at least is going to be assembling a team like that and again that comes also with a sense of supporting those people, like asking people to do that much time. That's a difficult thing to do to say, hey, well, you volunteer all this time and all of this effort to get this thing done. Again, how would sponsorships and financial support play into making this thing so much better if we were able to, like, you know, like we pay instructors, pay a media team? I think the way that sometimes the marching arts are behind in their views on media actually comes from that perspective, the value of it and the respect of it in some, in some manners, you know, um, when I, when I, we, at, at Scouts, when I taught there in 2017, I did all the, the color guard media. That wasn't, so, I wouldn't even have asked them to pay me to do that because the viewpoint from the entire community at that point was this is a, just a supplementary thing. It's not something that's important. It's not something that actually helps. But then when you start to look at the, the effect that social media and popularity has on your performance throughout the season, the way that you're able to recruit members, now people are like, oh, this is a necessity, you know, especially getting into the, quote unquote digital age, which we've been in for forever, but especially in the marching arts, with it catching on the way that it is, people are like, oh, this is totally necessary. Even as far as branding goes, I've seen a huge wave of rebranding happening in in the the marching arts over the last two years. Cause they keep coming to me and they're like, can you redo our logo? And I'm like, I I can't do all of it. So you see people completely reconcepting their brands because now they're like, oh well, I guess we can't keep using that logo we did in paint. I guess it's time to, <laughs> I guess it, I guess it's time to have a real logo. And so it's a good thing, but again, personnel wise, there aren't enough people to do it in a way that really suits the, the actual graphic design and branding industry. Yeah. I think collaboration is just so key. I mean, I think one thing that I started last year with 2021 uh, was just having like a crew team that like they couldn't march, but they were really invested in making sure that the, you know, the team looked well. And like, you know, I had a photographer every other rehearsal uh, that just was a volunteer alumni. And then I have somebody that does like all the social media content just shows up and does stories. Um, so like, I think maybe promoting that for each program might be a fun thing to do because alumni like to be involved. And then they also, everybody, like Travis said, like everybody likes to consume content. So if they see that their stories are being posted or like there's social media content that they have created that's online, 
Like it gives them incentive to step in the door and help out the, the organization if they don't have like a financial give, but they can come into rehearsal and just be like, I'm going to be here all day and I'm going to get this whole design camp. I'm going to get these stories. And then it, 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 it gives awareness to the activity because as an instructor, you're not able to do that. You're just busy. Like you're not thinking about that at all. But then when you turn to the side and you see this person's like getting this boomerang, you see it later, you're like, wow, that was a great day, you know? Um, so maybe like for other programs to reach out and, and give that as an incentive, I think would be a great bonus for all the alumni to pitch in. That's really, really smart. And I fully agree that idea of like the instructional staff also serving as the social media coordinators, I think is baloney because we're already, as Travis noted, we already do more than we're supposed to do. We already do things we're not qualified to do. We should probably just like stay there and then get individuals for that role so they can focus on that and capture the instructional staff doing what they're doing. I think that's that's important. One thing I want to touch on is the idea of value. Travis was kind of noting, we didn't always see the value in having a media team, like a dedicated media team. And I think the obvious place would be there are dollars to be made through the promotional efforts of your media team. If you're trying to recruit a lot of students, like I know when I talked to Crossman, we made a bulk of our income from like our satellite camps and advertising for those and getting students in the door. That to me is very obvious. One thing that I'm not as certain of how this would work is just like the monetization aspect, like crown having a, a million followers on TikTok or this amount of subscribers and this amount of views on YouTube. Is there a path for these organizations? We already have brilliant talent. We have brilliant creative designers we're all together. We have a shared vision and we know how it works, but we're not doing basically anything to like monetize our group outside of like the group. So is there a pathway for possible monetization if we can go in this content creation direction? I don't know who wants to field this. Uh, Michelle, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, so for monetization, like, so the easiest way to think people have been posting is like YouTube. But the thing with YouTube is that you have to get so many view counts and so many comebacks that it's just almost impossible to gain profit from YouTube. Right. There's sites like Patreon that, you know, they have like their monthly subscribers, which would be good for our fan base. You know what I mean? People want to pay. Sometimes people don't. And you have to have a lot of content coming in for Patreon to be profitable. I think the best way is to shoot something that's truly professional in all aspects and then go to the streaming services and pitch it to those networks, um, which is a longer path. It's not something immediate like YouTube, but it does have a big payout. I mean, we, I don't know if you saw the, the Netflix show cheer, um, but they had a, a great revenue in return and, and a lot of awareness going into that um, docu-series because of how serious it, it was. It didn't just like hokey pokey, like cheerleading, but they showed the serious aspect and which is, I think that we don't want to go. I think a lot of people have a hard time trying to make this into like a serious um, docu-series, but I think that there's so much, so much importance within the activity that we can showcase. So I think that's the best way. It just, it will take more money beforehand, which is why, why like networks like have that budget because you have to fork up that money beforehand before you see any money come back. Travis, what do you think about this conversation? Just like monetization and content creation, you know, not just promotions, not just students auditioning for the competitive group, but utilizing the talent we have 
to create something that's bigger. When I think of like being a paid performer, it's always been strange to me that uh, people can be as incredibly amazing as they are at at this activity and then be a performer in it and never get paid for it. That's always been like a strange thing. Like when you graduate high school and you stop dancing in a dance studio, you never pay to dance again or you shouldn't like you, you may pay to take class and to be a learner, but as a performer, you get paid. That is simply the standard. And the way that happens is generally speaking, dance companies have to be transparent with their, their expenses, their income, who they pay, all those things. And that way they're able to, to apply for like public grants and that sort of thing. Like um, in the times that I have put a dance on a dance company, I've had to apply, help them to apply for the grant to fund it, to talk about what the work is, um, what community it aids, that sort of thing. And also just to very thoroughly map out where every dime of it was going to go to, because it couldn't go to like, if they were a nonprofit dance company, it couldn't go to anyone on the board. It couldn't go to anyone who essentially would have, who has, has a vested interest in the actual program or like could use it for public advantage. Like those are, it has to be very transparent and that's not really a structure that we have set up in a lot of places, at least in indoor. I know they're like nonprofit drum corps and they operate with boards. Um, I don't see a ton of that happening in indoor, at least at the lowest levels, low to mid levels of it, if that makes sense. So, um, when it comes to commercialization on a grand scale, I don't think that's a viable thing. I don't think that grants could pay enough or fund enough of the whole thing with how big our activity already is. It could help privately with some small groups, but nothing too much above that, if that makes sense. It does. Like It's not going to come from WGI as the umbrella organization, the governing body, but these organizations these are legitimate, you know, 503C nonprofits, and we likely have the potential as a business, as a nonprofit business, to go in the direction where we are writing grants, we are seeking outside funding, that kind of creative and financial thinking. And it feels like we just get into the like summer planning, indoor competitive, then we chill for like two months, and then we're in the planning, and it's like, we just don't have this in our flow. And I feel like we could, and we likely have the people like there's, there's the, the individuals are there, the personnel's there, but it's like, this is just not something we do. So we're not going to do it. But I, I just feel like, again, we are not giving ourselves the opportunity for a larger platform. And like, I think Michelle said, yes, it's going to cost money up front, but the payout is going to be, massive in terms of the culture, in terms of getting students through the door. Like, I just feel like basically all I see out there is like promotions. And I don't see a lot of great content in its own right. I don't know exactly why that is. Like, I I think there's a lot of different reasons. I'm interested in what you all think. Do we still not see the value in having that as a solid leg of an organization are we understaffed? Is it a lack of creativity? Like if, if you could boil it down, I'll kick this to Michelle. Like if we could boil it down, like why isn't the average marching arts? And let's, let's say when we're talking about this, we're talking about independent orgs and not high schools, because I think there are like a couple different reasons. The high school thing is different. The scholastic level is different, but at the independent level, why don't we see these organizations capitalizing on these tools? Like we see other brands and companies. 
I think a lot of it comes from the individual not being prepared. I think they're just nervous about not pulling out the content uh, that they see online because it can be intimidating. If you see something that's like really well done, then you're like, mine is not going to look as well or it doesn't have the quality or the editing is not as smooth or things like that. So I think they just get nervous. And, and then and then hiring somebody that's out of your umbrella can get, can get expensive because at the end of the day, like most of my stuff is volunteer right now because I'm, I don't pay myself for Relentless. And then even at Crown, it's not like if I would work for a network or for a big company, I would be getting paid more. So it's like you do this for the love and the passion. And I think that there's a lot of uh, variances of people that would do that you know, for, for that activity. So uh, right. it's going to take a pull and push. I think there's more people going into like the, the content creation space now. So I think in, in the next couple of years, you're going to see a lot, a, a big movement of people actually marketing their teams, the independent teams and, and of course, drum corps, um, a lot more. So I, it's, it's on the, the skim of it, but it's, I think there's an uprise. A lot. Absolutely. Travis, do you want to respond to the original question, which was just maybe what are our limitations realistically or what are our limitations that we are imposing on ourselves? Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with Michelle in just about every sense. It does come down to, um, for me, and I can I can only speak from my experience and in the, the groups that I've worked with, it has always come down to personnel. And just available hands to be able to do the work that it requires to actually create great content. Cause it's, it's not just the create, it's the planning of it. It's the execution of it. It's the follow through of it. When, you know, you've got a world-class organization that has five staff members in the room every weekend. If that, you know, you're looking at like who, who, everyone's everyone has a whole block to teach or they're directing the color guard, they're doing administrational duties. And then there's the content creation part of it, you know? Um, and it, it has been on the rise. Like we've seen, we've seen teams arising. We've seen people willing to put in the extra work. You know, the work that I do for Paramount is a work of passion and love. No pay. I do it because I absolutely love the people there and I love, and I love creating good media. Um, it's been a passion of mine since middle school that I didn't really explore in college, but I, I'm, I digress, you know, um, once I, I think there'll, there'll be, it's like, if you look at like a graph of something, like it's getting more important. And then at some point it's going to reach that peak where it becomes so crucially important that the investment will appear and then it's going to skyrocket. It's like a bubble kind of thing. You know, the bubble's growing at some point it's going to pop and then it's going to be, it's going to be wild. You know, I think it is the next venue. It's the next thing that we do. We explore our activity through media there's some of it happening already, but again, you've got to get people bought in. It's still an argument that has to happen at a lot of places, especially like this past winter, even this past summer with crown, I'm sure like there had to be some convincing that happened to say like the film will be important. If that's the whole point of this thing, it's, it's got to be important. And I'm sure that took convincing. And it's just a change of mindset too. Uh, especially in the marching arts, we like to stick to what we know and what we're comfortable with. Our first response to anything that's unfamiliar is, oh no, let's go back to the comfort zone because we know how to do that and we know how to get paid to do that. Adding in a whole nother, a whole nother responsibility and job to the thing. Uh, it's, it's definitely, I don't like, I don't want to describe it as a trend, but it's definitely something that will have to trend and then become an essential part of what we do. Are you looking for a high quality apparel made exclusively for the marching arts? 
That Dan Band Show is brought to you by Lot Riot Apparel. Lot Riot was founded by a drum corps alumni with a mission to create the premier apparel brand in the marching arts. And he definitely accomplished that goal. There's no other brand out there like Lot Riot. No matter what band event you go to, you will see Lot Riot clothing being worn by members, fans, and instructors alike. It is literally everywhere. Lot Riot is the brand that bonds the marching arts community together. They have a passion for band and have a real stake in their customers and the activity. With Lot Riot, you're part of a greater whole, a group of friends, a community. I love Lot Riot because they draw on a minimalistic streetwear aesthetic and use high quality materials to create cool, comfortable clothing. Their brand fits my personal style super well, which is why I am proud to have Lot Riot as a personal sponsor, as well as a sponsor of this podcast. Lot Riot is currently offering listeners of That Dan Band Show 15% off all purchases on LotRiot.com. Simply go to LotRiot.com and use the code DANBAND, one word, at checkout and you will receive 15% off everything you buy. But that's not all. Listeners of the podcast use the code DANBAND will also receive an exclusive Lot Riot That Dan Band Show pin and sticker pack for free. So go to LotRiot.com right now to get 15% off your order and a free sticker and pin pack using the code DANBAND at checkout. See you in the lot. The reality is the way that these competitive groups are designed plainly is not made for what we are necessarily talking about. Like the reality is like, Watching something live on a football field or an arena is so different than watching something on an iPhone screen or on our MacBooks. It is actually going to require a re-engineering and a rethinking of what you're actually doing to film to put out there. And I think this is something not necessarily being done everywhere, which is like, if you just do what you've always done and you film it, it's just the lot video. It's like the drum line in the lot. It's the color guard warming up. Like it's not that interesting, but when you start to zoom out and go like, well, there's not a flat audience, right? It's not drill that we're trying to like read from the top. It's more intimate. It's more up close. It's more personal. It's uh, there's, there's more of the individuality and personality of the performers. The entire scale and scope of it is different even the type of music or movement you would choose, I would think would be different because to be honest, the average person is not probably going to respond to some of these like really highfalutin concepts we do, whether from a movement standpoint that are like the classical dance training things or from a musical standpoint where we're like still playing canonical European 17th century music for whatever reason, don't know why we're doing that, but we are. What do the students out there want to listen to and watch? Have you seen Rihanna's Fenty music film? Like the the one she did in the warehouse where it's just like her, all these songs back to back. And like, there are moments in it. She's not even singing. She's not, there are no dancers. She's just walking through this beautiful environment. And there's this level of pageantry and production to it where it's like, she's not being a singer in that moment. She's not being a dancer in that moment. We're just watching beautiful film happen. And like the combination of them all. But behind that is 50 crew members and 10 people in a room and millions of dollars. And so I think that's where we get into this like funk and flow. It's like we want to create this beautiful content, but it's a lot of money to create this. 
So, and like, I know I'm a dummy, but like you, you, it's not just a camera. There's all these different facets. Could, could you walk me through like, I, and maybe let's not say like Rihanna's Fenty video, because that is truly the highest level, but could you maybe walk me through from a production standpoint, what it would require to do something maybe similar if you wanted to, let's say, you know, steal that vision a little bit and, and sort of redo it for the marching arts. Like what would be the bare bones to produce something that's like pretty high level? So definitely you need a videographer, you need a onset care, you know, just somebody that's just running around. Um, you probably need 10 PAs that are going to be taking care of all the extras and behind the scenes stuff. Um, you need a PA, uh, sorry, assistant director, makeup and hair, probably a boom mic. There's just so much a slate person that's like just just giving you information. And that's if you don't have a, a script. If you don't have a script, then you have somebody that's doing that too. So it's there's like always on set, on, on a normal set, there's going to be about 30 to 40 people that are behind the scenes. <laughs> and that's people that, that have been in well informed beforehand to execute the process. And to, to kind of like move that over to pageantry and what's been done. Paramount this past winter, uh, I filmed the whole thing on my iPhone. And that's just to like, to kind of give you an example of how like we're trying to do the thing, even in, even if we don't know exactly how to do it. Like I learned a lot from Michelle just this past summer on like, Oh, I could have done that totally different, but we're, we're still trying to create this high quality content. And there, if you, if you really want to like get into, into the mud and try to do it the best that you can there, I had to do lots of like behind, like after the fact, like lots of rendering and editing and after effects to like clean this thing up because it's on my iPhone. You know, it was me, Rick and Andrea, the three of us running around getting, uh, luckily we have very professional performers. So like they show up, they look great. They're able to take care of their things. We, we used props from the past winter. I, we bought hundreds of yards of black fabric to hang all around this room to create like a black box kind of environment. We bought soft, soft boxes that cost around a thousand dollars, you know, but at the end of the day, it was like, all right, iPhone 12 pro here we go. And there was only so much like there's, there's a barrier there. Like I could, the video was only going to turn out a, a certain kind of way. There wasn't going to be that much depth to the lens. There, you know, there wasn't going to be that much production value, but we were able to do something. If we want to take a next step, it's like what, what she's saying. There's got to be professional equipment and an actual process and way of doing it. And even more money put into this person, this person, this person, or somehow God given volunteers, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love volunteers. A, a major takeaway, I think, that started this this conversation about the Rihanna Fenty product was when we look at band, what we are assessing is like what's there. It's like they're clean and like the design. I mean, it's literally the left and right box, the content, the achievement. Let's just go with that. What we are talking about is what is making me drawn to this product is the medium that we're using, like the actual video is compelling the editing the lighting there are choices like when you watch kubrick it's not just the acting and it's not just a script there's so much to it the music has its own character the settings that he chooses to use right the costuming the video the way that he'll do super long shots or like thinking about tarantino or think about whoever you want to choose as a director like there is an entire perspective 
through the medium of video that we currently, we not only lack live because that's just not possible, but even when we do a lot of these video projects, nine out of 10 groups aren't actually thinking about the creative aspect of the videography. And that feels like, that's like a thing that's not a resource problem. It's a like, you're not thinking about like how this is being processed, but Michelle, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it's pre-production. So pre-production is so essential and sitting down, just like how you design a show, you got to sit down and design this video and all the levels that come in between. And that even goes into like what lens you're going to use, what lighting you're going to use, what scenery you're going to use. But a lot of people don't like to sit there and talk about that stuff and they just like get to set and just try. But then it's harder to achieve what you want if you're just like there with the performers staring back at you. Um, and we know that when we're like doing choreography, it's the same thing. You just show up and you're like, um, frozen. Um, but that's not the thing that like these, these blockbusters are not doing that. They're not wasting it. Back in the day, we, we, we had film. And so you weren't going to be wasting film on trial and error. So they had to really sit down and talk about what they, what these 50 people in the room are going to do because, it's it's one thing I think we're so used to just having like our circle and like our friends around and we're like okay everybody's gelling uh, but for these big production sets like they're not all friends and we have worked on different projects before and we have different experiences and how is this person in charge going to make sure that all that what we need to do in these next 12 hours is going to get done or else we're going to get delayed in production absolutely so I think it's 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 important the pre-production because uh, we do so much for our passion, and I think that it would benefit us moving forward if we did more time, you know, sitting in a room and talking than just like trying to run and gun because we, we, we will always try our best. Like, I do it too. Like, I show up on set, like the the one in the beach with Nick and all that, that stuff. Like, we got there and we tried our best, and um, but. I, in hindsight, I think things will always come out better if you if you do a lot more pre-production. Yeah. Scene two is my favorite to think about when it comes to Paramount last winter. Um, it was shot in a gym, an empty gym. Um, but the, you know, we conceptually really thought hard about it. We wanted it to be like a classroom, but we wanted to abstract the classroom. So what if there was this vast, empty black space? And for some reason, this light shone down on just this one section, this one section of that vast empty space. And there were these desk chairs in it. You know, we created sort of an, uh, an environment in that way. And it was like, okay, well, how are we going to do that in a gym? Um, and it came down to pre-planning. I had to sit down and for hours research, how does lighting work? I had never done that. But I had to sit there and say, uh, all right, how do, uh, what are these methods for this? Okay, soft boxes, what is that? How, does, how much does that cost? How do we set them up? What angle do they have to be at? So, oh, they have to be elevated to find a really striking silhouette on a performer. Okay, cool. So we'll make that happen. And so then we did. And those were all things that like weeks before we shot it, it was, okay, we've got to get this in. And we've got, if this is what we're trying to achieve, this is how we do it. Um, what are they wearing? How is that going, going to reflect light? We did screen tests. We showed up the weekend before um, and had the members come in and we just had them stand in the environment and do some spinning in the environment. And I, I played with exposure on my iPhone. Um, uh, what was the best way to going to be to get the best exposure to make sure we had this cool environment? It worked for the most part. Um, of course, there are lessons learned in that experience, but it took a lot of like, planning it out. And those aren't things we think about. We go, Oh, we're going to, we're going to shoot a cool color video. Everyone meet in the gym at five. 
you know? But like, if you, it, it really, like, there's only so much editing you can do and keep it feeling genuine, unless the intention is to really abstract it out of like a real space and make it feel overly edited. Like we had a scene, scene four was like that. The idea was to make it feel like over the top edited because the whole thing was about overperformance and all kinds of identity things and that sort of thing. But in order to make it feel genuine, even in the uniform photo shoots we do, we've got plastic gels on lights and we have a really great photographer, Jim Schooler, that comes in and I show him the concept and then he, it's, there's almost no post editing to it because it, it turns out great just in the way he does pre-production, you know, and those are things that we don't know and we don't know that we don't know them. But then people like Michelle who are like trained in this are like, oh, that this is how you do that. And then someone like me who like I have the taste and I have the preference for it, I go, oh, lesson learned. And then I'm going to promote that everywhere I go from then on, you know? Absolutely. I mean, we definitely have enough tools to do more than what we're doing. Like you said, an iPhone and the handheld, you know, swivel, tripod, whatever, like it doesn't take that much to at least get you in the door. I would say like we all have smartphones. We could be taking and and doing more, taking better pictures, taking better video. I, I definitely think it's there. But like you're saying, you have to put the emphasis on the planning. Like for Mason, we everyone did it remotely. It was 100% remote. So at least from the video perspective, we broke down the music like we would. You know, I, I always do a show map with the chunks of the music, whether it's like set to set or just like letter to letter, smaller chunks, whatever. And we broke down like, and and literally like just Googled, like what are the camera shots that we can do? All right. We could do like this long shot. We could do the up close shot. We could do a mid shot, like learned what those, what the vocabulary is. And we provided that to the students. Like here are the five shot types we're doing. We're doing a side, a front, mid, full, whatever face. We gave them like those five, uh, combinations. And then we all had these Bluetooth lights and we had an arrangement of where those lights would go. So we'd be like, all right, letter A to A5 is shot one and light scheme C. And it was just literally every section. I love it. Every single set. And it, it was going and it was like, just, it was absolutely painstaking. Like it was literally down to that level of detail. So when all the videos came in from the students who were recording all over the country, it was just plugging them in and it, it definitely made i would say for a much more successful post-production process because we we didn't just like film yourself playing it there was much more thought put into it and like unfortunately doing something from home the camera qualities are going to be different there's certain things that you can't ask of them but i think just having a little touch of light and color that that met the mood of the music and having a variety of shots it gave it a professionalism it was like whoa okay like this doesn't look like we phoned it in in a week. So a lot of pre-production there. And it makes you think like, are these groups doing any planning for their competitive shows? Or are they just like, let's write the score, let's write the drill, let's show up and figure it out. I think people are maybe still in that that zone, which is not where I'm at, but yeah. Yeah, I that that would that sounds like a very uh, stressful season. We uh, I so I coordinate for like a small little group in Alabama, and they're cute. I love them to death. They're great dancers. Um, I'm great friends with the directors, and you know I think they they had like a drill before me. They had a drill writer come in, and he wrote the drill, and then okay, they wrote the choreography. Cool, show's done. Um, 
And then they met me, <laughs> their their best type A friend. And I'm like, all right, so here are three documents. Um, one is the concept document. I've got all the imagery, all that stuff in there. This is the, the pre-planning document. Um, this is... Uh, some styles I want to look at. This is the show mapped out. And then here's the actual like show document. Oh, I've mapped it out letter to letter kind of thing. And they're like, all right, here comes Travis with his documents. And they make fun <laughs> of me for it. Yeah. But it, it's how I operate. And I think that it is not necessarily, I'm not going to say that has brought success in that arena. Yeah, sure. Some, but has brought me success in other venues of my life where I'm tr- now trying to run a digital design studio. Okay. I've got it all mapped out. This is the briefs we're going to provide clients. This is the process for it. It's an approach kind of thing that not only applies to this, but also to a lot of other things that provide success in any kind of arena, you know? I love that so much. And that just like speaks to, I think what everyone should do if we are actually trying to make the most, like we say, we don't have time, but then we show up and we're spinning our wheels when we're actually in our rehearsal. For me, if the work happens before the rehearsal, the less work actually has to happen live or less stress. It's more just you're on the track. Michelle, you obviously have a film degree other than some of these technical things that we're talking about. Like what have you learned from your formal background that you feel like absolutely needs to be applied or I guess just discussed in the marching arts so we can move this thing forward and upwards. Just that honestly, it's going to take time. Like productions are going to take time. So a lot of us like to say like, it's going to one rep and done, but that's like, a lot goes into effect because what if the lighting wasn't good? What if the camera angle wasn't good? Like it doesn't have to sometimes be about the performer. A lot of these things are uh, everyone else has to click. Um, So like sectioning that time and saying that it's going to take 12 hours today to get this done. It is what it is, but then you'll show up and you'll have great product at the end and not be rushed, but you have to section out that time and be ready to be like, we did our job by rehearsing this well enough that when we got on set, that it was shot right. And then we get to enjoy the process later. Um, so I think moving forward, I think that's what I what we can all learn from is like rehearse what you need to do. And then it's a, it's a show right at the end of the day, but you can take your time and go back and reshoot and go from the top and do what you got to do. Um, which is what we saw when when we were at Crown this this past summer. It's like those di- those nights felt really long, but at the end of the day, when I was putting it all together, it's like I, we could have done it one more time, you know. And if we would have had somebody up top with a with a big mic or you know a monitor upstairs for the staff to all see, because like we had Travis and I had a monitor, but we're two eyes on six cameras, and so. You know, I think that if we had a monitor upstairs for you guys, the staff to be like, okay, my section's good, then we would have been, that process would have been a little bit faster. Yeah, I would love to hear. I think that's a really great segue. Um, You know, I obviously saw some behind the scenes with that whole experience, you know, the Project 21 in my mind experience um, and just taking an absolutely different approach, you know, for people who didn't know, like Crown did not go on the road. We moved in and did five weeks at our spring training site and we just stayed there. And I think anyone who was there knows that it was for the absolute best because it was just a way cool experience and it was a much more healthy experience for, I think, both the members and the staff. But I would love to hear, you know, Travis, I know you work very closely with Rick Subel, the artistic director and program coordinator at Crown. I'd love to hear just what was the vision for project 21? Like what was, 
the kind of intent going into the year, what kind of product were we trying to put out knowing that we weren't going to be competing or even going to be seen one-to-one against a different drum corps? Yeah. Well, my work with Rick in all other venues is uh, usually involves trying to take a look at something from a different perspective to do it in a cool new way. Like that's our, our whole like shtick, you know, like we like to do things in a cool new way. Um, even if it's something that's familiar, something that we all know how to relate to, how can we take that and make it feel new? Um, and that was kind of, you know, we were sitting on the beach in um, St. Augustine, Florida. We were actually on vacation watching the waves. It was great burning my feet. I had like third degree burns. It was fantastic. (laughs) Um, But we were just talking about the whole thing. And, you know, one of the concerns was, is it going to look just like any other drum core recording? You know, is it going to look like we wanted like a a DCI DVD finals ready looking thing, but we did want it to still have a different feel to it. Like have it approached from a different way. Like how do we, how do we communicate tone, capture the audiences or the performers from their best angle? How do we explore like a concept not only through what they're doing on the field, but then how do we display it in film in a way that communicates the the overarching idea of the thing. So um, Rick and I, of course, worked together at Paramount last winter, kind of headed up that whole experience together. So we had some experience working together on a film. Um, So I said, well, you want me to come help? And so then I did. Um, And sort of my whole role there was to kind of take a look at the whole production and say, how can this be put into film um, in an interesting way? And that communicates the idea of the show correctly. The film crew was going to show up that last week, kind of with no, with not a ton of preparation. And if I were a film crew showing up to watch a a 10 minute long drum corps show with the idea being, I was going to film that same night, I would feel overwhelmed. You know, that, that's a huge task to try to understand something in a very thorough way. I'm very thorough with things. You know, um, I wrote out notes upon notes, pages of notes on on how things should be filmed. We created shot lists of everything. You know, it need to be from this side of the field, from this angle, with this kind of camera. Um, just being, you know, kind of speaking to the nature of how I've wor- I work as a person, just being that kind of thorough to make sure that this turned out the right way. And I met Michelle in the process um, and learned lots of her. That's actually where we met for the first. Well, I mean, we actually had worked together for years before I, I designed Relentless's flags and floors and things, but really like in a personal setting, like getting to know each other, I learned a ton from her in that experience. She taught me really how to take, I'd been organizing things before, but not in a formal film kind of way. So she taught me about shot lists and that sort of thing. So we kind of collaborated to put all that together. And at the end of the day, she kind of really drove the whole thing. She really was like the driving force behind making the whole film happen, if I'm being honest. But it was really cool. I learned a lot. Um, and then when the, the film crew did show up, we we kind of guided the thing. We, we wanted to make sure that like, we're getting the right shots. It was going to be edited in a timely manner. It was, it was going to be edited in a way that was just, you know, like 10 out of 10, the best thing that we could possibly present. So, um, really that's kind of how I was involved. I ended up supposed to be there for a week and then I loved it so much that I stayed for two, <laughs> um, all the way to the end. I like to think that the contribution helped some. So I'm sure it did. And Michelle, if you want to talk from your perspective, cause I know you guys were always in the lab back in your, in your room, just like, on the on the iMac pretty much nightly so like what did that process look like from your perspective yeah so basically since i was there from the very beginning of tour or the very beginning of the summer i got very familiar with the show and making sure that everything was kind of flowing and stuff like that 
Um, and then when Travis got there, we, we just connected, which was great. I ha- I was with Rick, you know, for most of the summer, but not till Travis got there is that, that connection really like struck a spark that, you know, I could handle being that voice, that in-between voice of having knowledge about the film aspect while also being in the activity because a lot of, you know, people think that like or maybe in the past the media team member was just like somebody on the side like getting a tan and just with their iphone out and just clicking pictures but something important for me so i was with cavaliers for two years and i gained so much knowledge from that and coming in i i was just really gung-ho about making sure that this was a professional production overall and so when the film crew came in they don't know the show the way that somebody was there from the top would know it. And so we really helped guide them in that aspect. And then when it came down to like the editing aspect, like they were going to move on and continue going to other drum corps to record their content because that's what videographers do. Like, you know, editing is just a whole nother beast. And so, um, you know, it, it really, I think helped that I was there from the beginning and I knew what they needed to see. And then we got the shots that we needed to get and I was able to edit the content um, in a timely manner so that the back and forth of the drafts could happen in a timely manner um, for Rick and for the rest of the design staff. Because, um, you know, those days we did three production days and those are multiple takes and multiple different views and they were shooting every single camera at the same time, um, which, you know, in in the big picture, we wouldn't do in a real production you would probably shoot two cameras and those are the only two cameras that you're going to keep. Um, but I think since they were a live production team, that's their process. But I think moving forward, I think there's a little bit more that we can do with that aspect um, with, with the time that was given. Like for example, if we knew from the get that we were only going to see side one and that's what, what the vision is side one, then side two can be off can be getting water they don't need to be practiced performing at all because i don't see them on camera and it does not matter um and that's what happens on movie sets so i think that's something we can do especially if we're going to shoot you know i think the the norm right now is like moving forward everybody wants to have like a perfect rep or like a perfect recording of a perfect rep as like think about how you can make sure that your performers aren't just gassing themselves for the sake of taking the rep but actually just doing it for camera. That's really interesting. I feel like there's a lot to take from that with just how we rehearse the groups at all, because we constantly, it's all about consistency, but the reality is for performers and for even athletes, the consistency is like showing up to the clutch moment and hitting. You've got to get to the line and hit the shot, or you have to come to, their performance and be able to be on that high level. Um, it's not like we're going to do it a thousand times and it has to be exactly right. You just have to be able to do it. So I feel like there's a professionalism that we could capture from what you are all describing or even what a dance troupe would do or what a, a team would do where we treat them with that conditioning. So they're always in their best health. And then when they show up to the clutch moment, they're physically and mentally prepared for that. When you're in a drum corps, you're on tour your ass is so damn beat. You're tired. You're falling asleep on the field. And we're just like, do it again. Cause you gotta, you gotta do a hundred reps in a row. So that finals is right. It's like, well, actually what the goal is, we put them in a state where they can show up. And then those last three nights, they're just like, feel good and can just do it. 
I think we are like so in the narrative of just like, oh, we're going to do a hundred reps and the percentage. It's like, and I think what you all have discussed in terms of the professionalism aspect and treating the the members, the performers as professional, whether it's actors, dancers, singers, models, whatever, we got to come to them with that so that they can give us our best. Sometimes I feel like, look, you got to give us more. And they're just beat down. There's nothing you can do when your body breaks down. So I think there's, there's almost like a bigger frame of reference here with just like how we even like rehearse these groups. Well, that's why I, I did appreciate crowns live show because since we did make it for the film, like they had those opportunity for water breaks. And I think like, I, I will never forget that live show because I think that was just a beautiful, like they were hitting everything and the audience was enjoying every piece of it. And I think that that's kind of like the positive of all of this is that even when we got to the celebration at DCI, like we had those individual moments where we got just to see the horn line from this specific drum corps, just do a, a little ditty on the side or like this little drum battle. I think that's like the, the positive thing. And I think that will propel our activity forward in a sense, because we were so used to like live show, live show, live show, live show. You right. don't even know what the show is about. You don't even know who taught there. It was just like, but now I think now that they're utilizing the video board, now that we had a lot of productions, like, like videos made, people are now stepping into that realm and it's going to be interesting moving forward how they're going to utilize that for their platform. Absolutely. And I would love to hear kind of as we wrap up for you, you two, you have, you have a vision for this thing, for what we're talking about, that there is more to what we're doing. So like Travis, I'd love to hear going into this Paramount season, like what's your vision for the media output and production for Paramount in 22? You know, every season, it's always about doing it better than we did it the year before. Um, one thing we do well is consistency in our branding, consistency in the look of all the things. I want to step up our video content more than anything else. Just from my learned experiences this past summer with Michelle and seeing what like great content can really look like, um, we've got to invest in some equipment to get some great... So, I mean, We've done it on our iPhones for the last however many years. And I want to take a next step with that, you know, and looking professional in the content that we're putting out and really being able to edit and have great output content, then it's going to take investment in what we're doing it on. And so that's the next step for us. I'm, I'm personally investing in a camera to be able to do that on. Um, and I think that's going to help us so much in just the quality of what we put out. Um, and then also just, again, prioritizing it in a way that is routine. You know, we, I always, I always like start the season with lots of gas. I'm like, I'm ready to go. Let's do the media. I've got these plans. And then we get into the thick of it and it's, oh, we're teaching and I've got to get the tondus clean and I've got to write this part and I've, I've got to do and, and plus, and plus, and, you know, make setting a routine for it. So like Thursday night is media night and we're going to, we're going to keep the plan going strong and we're going to execute the plan. We're going to pre-plan all of these things so that it's just as seamless from beginning of the season to the end. Cause there's always these lulls where we're stuck and we're, we're working on the show or we're traveling, you know, and I want my goal for Paramount this coming season is to have something seamless from beginning to end with really quality content, you know, and part of making that happen is going to be me reaching out to my friend, Michelle and going, Hey, do you have an idea for this? You know, like it's, that's the beautiful thing about 
relationships in the marching arts community. I think in some places with some groups, it's like, oh, we won't talk to them. Uh, Things happen that way. And that's fine. The thing I love and enjoy is I get to reach out to my friend separate from things and say, as an artist and a collaborator, she's going to help me grow and help the thing that I'm doing be better. And I'm super looking forward to it. It's going to be amazing. I love that so much. Yeah. I think the more we have the mindset of collaboration, the better. I, I think that's super important. And in these other creative realms we've been discussing, you see that even though they're competing for like eyes and money and whatever, it's like more is more in terms of the transparency. So Michelle, for you to flip to flip it over to the relentless side, what is your vision for relentless winter guard going forward? You guys have been this really kind of on this stratospheric rise, like just coming out and having a really strong identity. And honestly, I think being very smart about the identity of Florida color guard and continuing that, not trying to totally move away from it, but also having your own identity. So what, what's your plan? What's your goal and vision for relentless in 22? Uh, so yeah, this, this season, we're obviously going to continue having a competitive show and pushing for that as well, but we're going to try to at least push out, one RPE video a month, which is like low for my standards because I would love like two or three, but it just takes so much time and commitment from the, from a performer standpoint. Um, but for content, that's like so low because it, you watch this five minute video and then you spent hours on it, but it's gone. And so I think finding that gap between that, um, I, I luckily have now a, a group of uh, admin and media team alumni that want to help me this year that aren't able to perform but are able to give me that time so i think that's going to help me pushing forward into this next coming season um because hopefully you know i would love to document like coming back to wgi like that that i think is going to be iconic for every single performer um in all aspects and every organization so i think that it would be interesting like having that experience documented. But from my standpoint, it's just going to take a lot of pre-planning and commitment from volunteers to make sure that that happens. I I luckily have a collaborator that I've met in college and film school, and he's going to commit to coming down at least twice a month to help me with that project. So I have an outsourced person that will help me because when it gets down to it, like Travis said, like, logistically it just becomes a nightmare when you're worrying about so so much stuff but i think in the realm of things i just have to be okay with maybe not since we have so much content that has come out i try to make it better and then if it's not better i just like i just sit on it um but i just have to be okay with just like pushing it out and just pumping it out for the audience to see because i think what we've learned is like we just want to consume and within our activity, we just want to appreciate and like give those likes and give those comments to anything and everything that people in activity are making. So I think just moving forward, creating a great you know product for WGI and then making sure that I'm producing at least one video a month for YouTube and, and for promotion. Absolutely. I think to sum it up, like the, the reality is we have these incredible vehicles through the organization, through the talent and through the instructional and design staff it's there we do have the vehicles and the resources to put ourselves out there on in some capacity and make ourselves present in that digital space where so much is happening and i think this has been very very interesting to me and i think super uh, informative in terms of people who are looking to move themselves forward 
you have heard what it requires. Planning, it takes the resources, it takes the commitment, the consistency, and it takes the personnel who have a vision and a honestly a passion for it. If you stick someone in a media role and they don't like creating content, it's not going to work and it's going to show because their personality is not meant for it. You all have demonstrated that the personality is required behind the, the content creation for it to, to connect. So I just want to thank you both so much for getting on here in a, a short time and just like jumping on and having a super cool conversation that has been beneficial to me personally. So I'll be stealing all the things that you guys taught me today. And just want to thank you for uh, getting on here with me today. Thank you so much for having us. Of course. And I, I'd say to anybody, like, don't be hesitant to reach out. I think like people, uh, aside from the activity being uh, music-based and choreography-based and things like that, I think don't be hesitant to reach out and just ask for a helping hand. Because I think we all want to make sure that this activity flourishes as much as possible. And that's going to take everybody. That's not yep. just like one or two groups. That's everybody. Totally. Love it. And with that, it's been great. See you all soon. 